Welcome to Ancient Answers, the program that discusses modern issues through the lens of the ancient civilizations that came before us. My name is Shane. I'm Gordon. And today we are going to be discussing the Silk Road. Yes, the Silk Road. Uh, a 2,200 year long story. Uh, and it's relevant today, and yeah. we'll get to that towards the end. That's everything we talk about here. We try to bring in some kind of relevance for today, and this one here is going to be no exception. And it's well, actually, it's going to be very exceptional because there's a lot of parallels we can draw and a lot of importance with this. So, all right, kick us off, Gord. What do we got? Well, the Silk Road. Just to give it a bit of an overview, most people who are into history know that it was sort of the route between Europe, the Mediterranean, and China, with the sort of cultures in between, the steppe cultures, uh, even India participating in terms of trade. Uh, but let's just start off a little bit with the, the history as we know it. There was really no trade between the East and the West, uh, i.e., let's say, Rome and China, uh, before Alexander the Great. Alexander mm-hmm. the Great's conquest into Batria and uh, into a little bit into India, uh, you know, was there that... Greek soldiers began to hear stories that beyond in the further east, beyond the mountains, there was a society that had a great deal of sophistication because they were seeing products Mm -hmm. that had already been traded with uh, Indus Valley, uh, well, not to confuse with Indus Valley culture, but peoples within the Indus Valley, and they were admiring things, and and one of the things was silk. Mm -hmm. Now, the idea of a silk road is that it wasn't actually called a Silk Road until the 1890s. Yeah. And right. actually, the, the guy that gave the name the Silk Road was Baron von Richthofen. Yeah, wasn't he like a German geologist? Or yeah, geographer he was. Or something? He geographer, was, sorry, not geologist. And, and he was the uncle of the great uh, Baron von Richthofen, also known as the Red Baron oh! of World War I fame. That's why the name rang a bell. That's right. Oh, I didn't realize <laughs> yeah, that. They're related. Oh, that's, that's cool. <laughs> but, but the peoples, if you go back, you know, 2,200 years, it just was known as a trading route. Like, it was the trading route. It was the pathway, well, to the innumerable merchants who traveled those routes over all those hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, it was just a way to make a living. Mm-hmm. Now, it became lucrative. And certain times in history, it was extremely well-paying. But there are also a few times in history where military and wars uh, disrupted them. As, yeah. as Not as much as people think. There was really only three times where it was significantly disrupted for oh, 50 years, 40 years, yeah. 75 years, kind of stuff like that. Which, which, <clears throat> which sounds like a long time until you consider that, again, these routes existed for 2,200 years, in which case it's relatively small breaks. That's right. That's right. So the, the we know that by the time of Julius Caesar, within at least the Roman Empire experience, they were experiencing regular trade from, they knew, with some sort of empire to the east with the middleman in Central Asia, Persians, Parthians, um, Sogdians, and uh, you know uh, the other peoples that sort of populate yeah. that area, so, what so we would call Afghanistan, um, Tuzbekistan, Tuzbekistan, yeah. Kazakhstan, stuff like that. Yeah, so you're, you're Middle East going on towards India, it. essentially, right? You yeah. got it. Uh, they knew they were getting products, and it was a big deal. Now, the one item that the Romans absolutely went gaga for, especially <laughs> the wealthy, was 
silk. silk. And that's why it's <laughs> called the Silk Road. Um, to give an idea, Augustus tried to ban silk because mm-hmm. the, the expense of buying silk was starting to drain <laughs> the public coffers of gold. Yeah. Oh, it, that's got to be pretty serious. Well, and I remember reading as well that there was, uh, who was it? Pliny, maybe? I might be getting it mixed Pliny up. Pliny wrote a lot about it. Okay, yeah. And, and he was he talked about it as an immoral fabric because it was light and clingy. Oh, no. Is that Seneca? Oh, that was Seneca. It was okay. Seneca. Pliny, yeah, Pliny speculated it was it was made from the fabric coming from the trees. That's what it was. Kind of yeah. got a miss. Because it is. Yeah. Little worms spin their silk off of after eating from mulberry trees. Yeah, and it still comes from the cocoon, right? It comes from the cocoon. So yeah. it was kind of interesting that Pliny kind of got it half right. But you're right, Seneca said, oh, silk is too immodest for women to wear. <laughs> and yeah, he said some pretty mean stuff. It was It's kind of funny to think about now, but those you know, ideas of Roman propriety and modesty, I guess. That's but. true. Now, Diocletian, around the year 301 uh, uh, AD, established a fixed price. Okay. Uh, we're not really sure why, but his fixed price was 150,000 denarii per a weight of about three quarters of a kilogram or about a pound and a half. Okay. Now, if you were to translate into our money today, yeah. it makes it about a million point two American dollars <laughs> per kilogram <laughs> or about $600,000, $550,000 U.S., Per pound, that's a, for a, for a, a pound of silk. A pound of silk. That's astonishing. Yeah, that's why only the billionaires of Rome. Yeah, uh, with the equivalent of billionaires, yeah, the Forbes four hundred. Yeah, I heard like one historian Licinius Crassus's of Rome. You got it. Thing. Yeah, and, and stuff like that. That's what it was. But uh, in the in the course of it, though, economists do also figure that the the fact that the Romans who were, uh, you know, they they owned. The Mediterranean. Yeah, uh, they could pay for the wealthy could pay for this. It spurred the development of other products. Mm-hmm. So things like jade mm-hmm. came along, silver. Um, in fact, I've got a short list here of items. I, I was able to go on the internet, and I thought this was actually amazing. The list was more than fifty items that have been found as cross-cultural exchanges. I'll just cover a few of them here. Uh, ivory. Rhino tusks. Oh, okay, yeah, like the rhino Which we horn. have a problem with today. I was going to say, yeah, poaching is very common yep. today because of rhino yep. horn. Uh, the Romans were able to procure them through their contacts in Africa and ship them off to China. Uh, ivory the same way. Yeah. Uh, tortoise shells were a big craze. I read about that one as well, the Isn't tortoise that shells. Were, yeah, that's a, it's an odd one, I, guess, I suppose. But then again, it's no... I guess it's no more odd than rhino horn if you think about it. That's right. Show, yeah. That's right. And there were some emperors in China that were quite interested in getting some of the exotic large animals shipped to them, which yeah. I can't imagine how they did those in no the ships kidding. those days. But uh, the 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 big the other ones were grapes. They were introduced to China in the second century. Uh, coral. Mm. I thought that was odd because I thought coral would be off the the shore of China, but yeah. somehow the Chinese. It didn't clue into that. Really? I guess maybe that part of the Pacific Ocean, or the the Indian Ocean, I suppose, as well. Maybe there's not a lot of reefs in that area? Yeah. I'm, I'm no oceanographer, so I couldn't say. But That's a good point. Um, <clears throat> we have evidence. We have amber mm-hmm. uh, products in China that have been carved into beautiful ornaments. The amber has been uh, 
identified as having come from Scandinavia. Okay. So just think about that's eight and a half thousand kilometers. So from Scandinavia all the way south and east. Yeah, to just blow you away. Uh, Roman purple cloth. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Was as popular for periods of time in China as silk was in Rome. Okay. So the Chinese uh, nobility certainly uh, would pay a hefty price for that. Yeah. The biggest resentment the Chinese had was, of course, uh, paying the middlemen. Yeah. The Sogdians and the and the and the Sasassians and and the Kashites and stuff like that. They're, mm-hmm. they're sort of like today, you know, Afghanistan, pa- uh, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, and those those yeah. sort of stand countries mm-hmm. uh, today. Interesting thing. One of the things the Chinese eventually imported, not until the Tang Dynasty, so around the year ten. Uh, sorry, a, a thousand A.D. Okay, was chairs, chairs. Yeah, the tradition of uh, the oh. Han Dynasty around the year of the Roman Empire was the uh, Western Roman Empire at least was they sat on stools or they sat on the floor. Yeah. But the idea of sitting on a chair, especially a chair with a back, yeah. they were the hottest thing <laughs> imported into China in what we would call the medieval ages. Talk about cultural differences <laughs> where a chair with a back to it is seen as some novelty. That That's has, right. But it's it's true, though, when you look at Asian cultures, like uh, like Japan, for instance, where it's a lot of low cushions and... And, and seated low on the floor, kneeling, right? And and chairs, I guess, and having never really thought of it, that before, but yeah, chairs would be more associated with Western cultures. So it does make sense. It's interesting. That that, but it was, see, it's ideas that the Silk Road also passed along. Yeah. You know, it was slow. I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable. It took a year to try, oh, more than a year to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. We don't actually have any evidence that any single individual made the trip. Either way, until about the year 1050 yeah. A.D. But I'll get back to that in a second because mm-hmm. it wasn't just products that got passed along no, this of course not, yeah. route. And it wasn't any single road. Like, it was carved out with sign posts <laughs> along the way and, you know, yeah. way stops and restaurants. It was, well, they actually had they restaurants. They had those, there. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, um, like the superhighways today that we have. Yeah. But ideas were passed along. Mm-hmm. And we do know that, uh, you know, historians have... Have, have looked at the enormous influence that Buddhism, which started yes. in India, kind of migrated north into the central Asian areas, but then migrated east into China and yeah. absolutely transformed Chinese culture. There was, uh, there was one article that I was reading while researching this, actually, that suggested that a... I don't know if it was Buddhism in general, or at least a particular sect of Buddhism, was actually beginning to die out in India. Uh, before right. it moved into China, and that particular sect uh, actually exploded in popularity there. Well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the idea is... Now, there is one product that did get transferred along the Silk Road <laughs> yeah, yeah. that changed all of history, uh, I think, more, than, more than silk. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to wear silk, it's really pretty, but gunpowder... Oh, okay. Yep. Has a much bigger impact in human history. We yeah. live with the. We are living with the impact of that trade mm-hmm. to this day. Oh yeah, Gun, yeah. Gunpowder. What were you thinking of? Uh, I was thinking of diseases. Oh actually. yeah, that was next. <laughs> that was. I was going to bring up diseases, was, but we'll go with gunpowder first. Yeah, wasn't going to leave behind the disease. Uh, but just to just to to come back on the the idea of the ideas being transmitted. Um, Yes, 
it, it actually turned out to be remarkable because as you saw the rolling in of uh, obviously Christian ideas, then Buddhist ideas, not in any particular order, but also Islam. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the thought of Islam and what it brought in. And, 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 you know, there was a period of time, for example, that cities along the, the route, such as Baghdad and Merv and, and Sa- uh, Samarkand, mm-hmm. became remarkably effective and successful centers of learning, where actually, if you look at the historical record, different peoples met and did not conflict. Yeah. They trade gave them a reason to be friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get the the few, you know, kind of military orientated sometimes I call them psychopaths. It's just <laughs> you know, the the big strong man that wants to come along and be glorified because and by conquering. You know, there were some disruptions. Certainly, um, Tamburlaine was a huge disruption. But Genghis Khan, in spite of the fact he <laughs> killed the third highest number of human beings in human history yep. back when the world's population was only a billion and so people um, by conquering all the way to the Middle East through the Middle East all the way from China yeah he, he you know he established a protected route yep. Yeah. And and what was the what was the consequence of anybody who was going to disrupt trade along oh, that road? They were brutally cur- they were killed. It was and it wasn't just <laughs> chop their head off. They they put them to death with with a kind of a bit of pain. Oh yeah, like it was because I know that Genghis Khan established a series of messenger posts uh, that were known as Yam Riders across the Mongolian or what became Mongolian Empire uh, in order to just quickly m- move information and they, they would so there were these way stations set up along the way and riders could cover over a hundred miles in a day yeah, by changing else. horses regularly they wore a, like a bandolier with bells on it or something so that they could be heard coming up to the station so that by the time they arrived the horse was ready to go they jump off the one horse onto the other one or if they were too exhausted they pass the message on and then the other rider goes and takes off so and and it was it was a, a cruel and painful death if you messed with the yam riders or the messengers uh, and that sort of translated over to the Silk Roots as well, where he created a a secure trade network, sort of under the same umbrella, I suppose. Well, it's actually good that you mentioned about uh, horse-driven mail service, because that was actually a product I, I, I missed saying back when I was given the list. Mm-hmm. Horses. Oh. The actual trade in horses was enormous. In I fact, again, for the Chinese... Uh, it was as important as silk would have been for the, yeah. the Romans. Okay. Um, but yes, yeah. The, the, if you think about how important the horse became in the Eastern and, and well, I call the the Old World in, uh, economies mm-hmm. and societies. Yeah, and and the trade of horse, different breeds of horses and so on like yeah, that. For but different purposes and everything. Exactly. Those pack animals for personal transportation for uh, racing or for show or whatever, right? Like there was, there they were a hot commodity for the wealthy elite. Especially for racing. And yes. we will discuss that, I understand. Yeah, that that's our point. next episode. Okay. A yeah. <laughs> um, couple other points here. Uh, going to China and for, sort of from their perspective, they benefited from the trade as much as the West benefited from oh, the yeah, trade. Of course. And one of the things that's interesting though, just a little side note, the Zhangjing 
sorry, Zhongnu, which were the steppe people. That was the name the Chinese call the steppe people in my best Mandarin. Um, <laughs> they were, if anyone wants to, a nuisance to the Han and Tang and Shui dynasties of, of China. They were the steppe people that constantly raided their their borders. Okay. At one point, there was an agreement made where they would pay them what was roughly 10% of their silk production in both finished cloth and in raw uh, fab- uh, thread okay. to keep the Zhongnu Zong- uh, nomadic leaders dressed in silk because <laughs> it was a status thing if you're out in the middle of the steppe wearing silk, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was estimated it was that 10%, if you think about it, the 10% of that empire. Now, to put in perspective, just to make a little sidebar here, um, both Augustus Caesar and the uh, uh, Han Dynasty in the year, uh, one was in 22 BC and one, sorry, 4 BC and one was in 22 AD, did a census. Mm-hmm. And we know that the Roman Empire came up with the number of 52 million. Yeah, that, that's, that's citizens in the empire. In right? the empire, okay. right. And then the uh, Han Dynasty, just a few years later, it came up as 58 million. Okay. So just to give an idea, that's around the year 0 BC, give yeah. or take a bit. So populations are relatively equal in the Roman Empire and yeah. the Chinese Han Dynasty at this time. Kind so. of remarkable yeah. to have that. Uh, now, you, you, you fast forward a little bit when the Xiongnu were giving trouble to the uh, to the Han Dynasty and then there's the intermediate period and so on. So let's say from the year zero to the year one thousand. Okay. Give it, you know, to give a sort of a frame reference here. Yeah, it was around the year 800, 900 that there were uh, certainly after nine oh six, they were paying ten percent of their silk production to the Xiongnu as kind of don't come and attack us anymore. Yeah. yeah you know. Well, that that was a relatively common thing throughout history where you'd pay tribute to. Uh, 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 some army. Actually, that's something that they used in uh, in the series Game of Thrones. For any, anyone who's familiar with that, that's the, right. The Dothraki would come up to a city, and the people could either choose to fight, or if they paid a hefty enough tribute, the Dothraki would just take it and move on. I think the Dothraki were basically these young uh, new in different costumes. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely <laughs> historical basis basis historical for that. Basis. But they're the, f- the Vikings of the steppe. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the but fa- yeah. the fact that the Chinese or the uh, this would have been or well over the thousand year period that you're mentioning roughly, the ten percent of their silk production is astronomical. Astronomical. If you were to compare it to a. What I mentioned is the Roman denarii yeah. valuation. Well, exactly, yeah. You're you're talking half a trillion dollars of oh. productivity in our money today. Oh, that's that's insane. That's it is absolutely insane. insane. <laughs> if you were to take ten percent of China's productivity today, now yeah. granted it's a much more diversified economy. Yeah, of course. You know, how do you how do you compare that? So the the Zhongnu were like they they it actually they actually believe it actually contributed to their demise because in some ways they had so much money they didn't know what to do with it yeah. so they spent it on crazy stuff and their cohesiveness of their society kind of fell apart people often say that that's what happened uh, contributing factor to the Spanish Empire okay. they actually almost made so much money they spent money lavishly they didn't invest in any infrastructure Yeah, at least nothing that would be sustainable for a while Yeah, 
but I mean, if you want to think about today, until Genghis Khan came along, the route was a very dangerous thing. Nobody ever went back and forth. Mm -hmm. Once Genghis Khan came along, and then of course we we have the famous story of uh, Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Yeah. Well, he wasn't the first. No, were, he wasn't. Yeah, there were others that had traveled back and forth. But I do want to talk about the topic you brought up, and mm -hmm. that was diseases. Disease. Okay. Yeah. Diseases. Yes, we do know of at least three major, <laughs> including the biggest, <laughs> yeah. uh, diseases that were have been traced to China. One was Justinian's plague. Yep. Very clearly had been brought to to Europe uh, in the Mediterranean in the 540s. There was another pandemic in the 750s mm -hmm. uh, that uh, came along and did a fair bit of damage. A little bit harder for the records to know. Uh, and then finally, in the 1340s, the Black Death. Yes. The big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that uh, one. Well, yeah, like you said, that one was as well traced back to somewhere, somewhere in Eastern Asia, anyway. And then it moved west throughout the the Silk Road. Yeah, it it actually came along probably on boats that had come along the Indian Ocean. Oh, route okay. And and had it passed because they the they don't think that the fleas would have survived on the on the rats long enough to get oh. across the land route, it would have come along the sea route. Oh, that's yeah, that does make sense. And now that you mention it, from what I I remember reading before, uh, it was mostly port cities I think in Europe that were the first ones to start that's suffering right. from the Black Death. So yeah, Geneva was yes was one of the first ones. That's right. So and that yeah, that tracks. Well, that was great talking about the Silk Road in part one. We will have a part two. Uh, well, we encourage all our listeners to listen to part two because there's much more to the story. Uh, we thank you for listening to all our stuff on social media. Yeah, yeah, we've got links on, uh, we've got a Twitter page, we've got Facebook. Uh, we are in the process of getting a YouTube page going as well. But for now, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We post uh, links with some additional content on there as well as some amusing history memes to help the day seem a little lighter. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane.